was it? Just read the words. Just read the words. Just read the words. Yeah. I know, but sometimes it's fun not to read the words and just to go off on, on, our, on our own. Why is it that we don't read the words? I, was, I don't read the words. I, that's not. I don't always read the words. Okay. Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Behavioral Grooves brings a behavioral science lens to understanding why we do the things we do through interesting conversations with our guests. What started out as a whim a year and a half ago has grown into a full-blown movement. We have Groovers listening in over a hundred countries and counting. As always, we appreciate the feedback and encouragement that our listeners bring. One of our listeners, NYC Banker, which at first I thought was Nick Banker when I read it. But but it's not <laughs> no, Nick Banker. It's, it's, it's NYC <laughs> okay. Banker. Uh, left a short review that just said, quote, these guys make behavioral science fun, end quote. And that's what I hope we do. I hope we are able to have fun with these concepts and ideas that may seem boring and dull or too academic to be anything that anyone wants to listen to. Yeah. And thank you, NYC Banker. So for any of other Groovers out there, feel free to leave us a review. Reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Go to the website, www.behavioralgrooves.com. We'd love to start a conversation. We want to expand this community and build it out so that more people realize that behavioral science can be fun. Okay, so back to the show. Okay. Question for you, Tim. Oh. Maybe a bit personal. Oh. Okay. So... When you started Behavior Alchemy, your consultancy, did you start it because you have a love for applying behavioral science, or did you start it because, hey, it's a job and that's what I need to do? Two parts to that answer. So I'm going to go, I started the business itself of Behavior Alchemy because I, I wanted to do what I love. Okay. I wanted to, to, to do, do that, that work. But I fell in love with that work, that, that application of behavioral science, in my previous corporate job. And because I needed to do that for the work, and then I fell in love with it. So earlier in my career, it was I fell in love with what I was doing. I loved what I did. And then I got to a point in my career, and I said, what I really want to do is what I'm loving. So... I want to do what I love. So you didn't start off as an early child loving behavioral <laughs> science and, and saying, this is the world that I want to go I learned into. how to play the guitar. And then shortly after that, it was all about behavioral science. Yeah, no, <laughs> not at all. No. All right. All right. So I, I asked that question because it is one of the many things that we talked with our guest, Steven Sisler, about. Steve is one of today's master level behavioral profilers and lead behavioral analyst at the Behavioral Resource Group. He's written several books and spoken around the world at meetings and conferences. Yeah, like always, our conversations veered all over the place. From how we got into the business, it wasn't because he loved it, to toolboxes filled with tomatoes. Tomatoes? Yeah, get ready for that one. Okay. Personality profiles, crickets on shoulders. Crickets on our shoulders is a great part of the conversation. Communication styles and tons more. Steve was super fun, energetic, and insightful. It's time to take a deep breath, give yourself some time to relax, and have some fun, and listen to our conversation with Steven Sisler. Steve Sisler, welcome to the Behavioral Groups Podcast. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. It is so good to have you here. Uh, I hope it's not blazingly hot in uh, the part of the world that you're in right now. It is. <laughs> oh, well, so much for wishes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, well uh, we, we can talk about that later. Let's start with the speed round. Which would you prefer, coffee or tea? Coffee. 
Bike or unicycle? Bike. Living life without a laptop or without a mobile phone? Laptop. Ooh, okay. Dig that. He is, he is, he is, you're, you're, you're trending with the younger folks that we interview. Generation a, V. That's, you know, wow. so there you go. All right, last, last speed round uh, question here. So should personality assessments been, be used to maximize a person's potential or to help them change who they are? Maximize their potential. All right. And that was a lead in because we kind of talked a little bit about this as we were starting before we started recording here. Tell, tell us your, your thoughts on that, because you, you have a personality assessment that you use quite often with, within your work. But help us understand a little bit about your, your answer to that one. OK, well, personality assessments are not predictors of performance. They're predictors of brain types who are going to try to perform for you. Um, and so what determines performance is how well their brain aligns with what they're doing. And I like to put it this way. If you're a tomato, you're better off in a salad. If you're a hammer, you're better off in a toolbox. But at work, we've got hammers in our salads. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ow. <laughs> Ouch. And, and, and then do we have tomatoes in the toolbox? Because yes, that would get do. really messy. That that would get that really why don't I like going to work? Because I keep getting crushed. <laughs> why am I keep getting crushed? Because the environment I'm in isn't specifically working towards my personality. It's working against it. Yeah. And so if I take a golf ball and I show you a golf ball and it says Titleist on the side and I say, is this a good ball or a bad ball? You wouldn't really know how to answer that. But if I was using a golf ball on a basketball court, you would tell me it's the wrong ball. Yes. And so but in the hands of Tiger Woods, it's a great ball. OK, so this is the way we are at work. We're all different kinds of balls, footballs, volleyballs, basketballs, beach balls, all kinds of balls. And we're all playing in games. And what happens is we're using a beach ball on a football field and then we fire them because it didn't work out. And the problem is it was the wrong ball for that game. We will know what kind of ball you're about to play with. And then we can determine, is this ball going to be productive in this space or is it going to work against the person, the ball itself, or what you're trying to get that person to do? So it's better to profile on their way in rather than profiling people on their way out. Which, so, which is going to happen inevitably if things don't work. Then, then you're going to get profiled. I, I love a, I had a sales manager friend who said, we always hire A performers, but we always fire C performers. Well, yeah. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, your brain never looks to verify if what you're doing is right or wrong. It only looks to justify what you feel like when you're doing it. Oh, that is so true. So it, so do you think, Steve, is this a, a responsibility that is lacking from an employment perspective or from the employee perspective? Or is it does it kind well, of fall? I think, it's, I, I think it's a combination of both. A lot of people don't know what they're good at. OK. OK. Um, and that's because they're afraid that they're not going to be good at something and they compare themselves among themselves. So people compare themselves with each other uh, and then they rate themselves based upon how they line up to somebody else. They never rate themselves based upon themselves. Um, is, is some of this, uh, I guess I think about the, uh, the comments around, you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life and all that right. kind of bullshit. And, and, you know, there's this, this idea that if you just, just connect with who you really are, then everything is, is easy. But what I hear you saying, it's, it is partly that, but it's partly the context then it's whether you end up in a salad or a toolbox yeah. too, right? 
yeah, I don't do what I love. I love what I do. Okay, explain that. That's different. So most people are successful by accident. Well, even, Tim is. even ancient King Solomon <laughs> 3,000 years ago said the, risk, the, 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 the race is not given to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but time and chance happen to us all. And so we are all products of time and chance. And we get into a situation in a work environment. And it's not working out. We really don't know why, because we thought it was going to be amazing before we entered. Other times we're sitting at home doing nothing. I have a story here that really uh, outlines this perfectly. A gentleman that I know who's since passed away a couple of years ago, but he met an individual that told him this story where he got laid off after 20 years working at a steel mill. And it was in the winter and he was fell into a depression. He had a 14-year-old son um, and he was laying around the house complaining. And his wife said, why don't you go shovel the driveway or shovel somebody else's driveway just to get outside and get doing something and get your mind off the fact that you've been laid off and the plant's not going to reopen. So he did that, and he went to the different houses with his son, and they decided to shovel snow for people. This one woman said, yes, I'd love you to shovel my driveway. They weren't charging people. They were just keep making themselves busy. She said, I also have some furniture in the attic. Would you mind removing that for me in the spring because I have nobody to help me? And they said, sure. That turned into an estate sales business worth multiple millions of dollars. <laughs> And because when he emptied that attic, he found some nice pieces of old furniture, refinished it and sold it and realized he had he was onto something. That's and crazy. started working with him and it turned into a multi-million dollar business. And finally, he said, being laid off from that job was the best thing that ever happened to me. But it wasn't planned. Well, and you hear that all of the time. You hear many, many people who talk about, wow, I wouldn't be where I am and as successful as I am today if it wouldn't have had this negative occurrence, whatever it was, happened mm -hmm. to me in my past. And because I was going down this path and that path was not the right path for me. That's so true. how do so how do you do that in a more purposeful way? Or can we? Or is it just happenstance? It's more happenstance. Now, listen, we, we try to be more purposeful. I started the Behavioral Resource Group 15 years ago. And my goal was to help families understand their teenagers. Okay. That's why I did it. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> but, but, but all I kept getting were people that owned businesses and wanted help with employees. And in the 15 years, I've had about 250.coms. I've worked with people in 18 countries and written seven books, all because I wanted to help families with their kids. And I don't do any of that. <laughs> okay, so I want to get back to the love what you do versus do what you love. Okay, so uh, as I started doing, as I was doing this, I realized I really loved what I was doing because I, I couldn't wake up early enough. I couldn't get there fast enough. I couldn't do it soon enough. Uh, but I didn't set out to say, what do I love? Because that's what I'm trying to do. I never did that. I just was being in the world and as you be in the world, you will, if you're a tomato and you're just rolling around in the world, when you land in a salad, it feels right. When you land in a toolbox, it doesn't. And so you either roll out or get out, depending upon where you're at. I used to shingle roofs in 111 degrees in Oklahoma. So I, I've done things and I'm like, why am I doing this? And then I stopped. Um, but when I, when I started doing this, I realized after the fact and while it was happening, how much I loved it, but it, that wasn't the reason why 
I really did it. I was just looking to be useful. And I didn't want to be told what to do by people all the time. <laughs> you know, and, and that's not a bad thing, but it didn't work for me because of the way I'm wired. I mean, I'm, I'm unconventional. I'm out of the box. Uh, you know, I, I failed math in high school. I mean, I just, there's things about me that no one would really want to hire. But the funny thing is now no one will hire without me. Oh, there you go. Oh, I love it's that. Crazy. That's great. But that's how it works. So we typically stumble into our best roles in the world, but it's only when you fall in love with who you are, not with who you think you're supposed to be. And so that's what I did. I, I just loved who I was. And through that process, discovered the capacity I had for doing many different things. And as I did it, I realized how much I loved it. Yeah. It's, so it's it's this understanding the descriptive you instead of the normative you, the, the, the person who you are as opposed to the person you want to be. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. And we view other people like that. We try to help them be who we think they're supposed to be versus appreciating them for who they are. And when we do that in work, the same effect happens. Um, it, it's very powerful. <clears throat> so, so if you're that tomato and you're rolling around and you're not rolling into the salad, as you, you're talking about, mm -hmm. how do, can, can you as a tomato somehow help yourself roll into that salad so that you can be happier, more yes. productive, feeling yes. all those things. Uh, here's what I did. When I was, I had a painting company for 18 years called the Dreamcoat Corporation. This is before I did this consulting job. Um, and I liked it and it supported a family of five for 18 years. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, up in Massachusetts by the ocean. So it was a pretty good business. Um, but I wasn't, feeling completely fulfilled. I wasn't totally happy with it. But I do realize I did realize this. If I don't embrace this and be grateful for what it is, the odds of me finding something else I think are going to be slim. And you know what I based it on? <laughs> the movie The Prince of Egypt. <laughs> the Prince of what oh, Prince I of am Egypt. not familiar. The Moses story, the Disney movie. Okay. Oh! <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So if you remember in the story, you know, the Moses figure uh, uh, is living. He gets kicked out of Egypt because he killed an Egyptian because he realized they were beating my brothers and sisters who were the Hebrews. And he gets kind of banished to the backside of a desert for like 40 years. Like, as soon as he embraced the desert, married the lady there, and took up residence and was finally happy to be home, you know, he was second in line in Egypt, right? Yeah, right. And as soon as he embraced that, all of a sudden, that's when everything changed in the story. The burning bush, you know, that whole thing. And then he goes out and he's got a job delivering six million people out of bondage. Um, so I was thinking about that story. <laughs> I and I said, I I'm on the backside of the desert right now in this business. So what I'm going to do is relax in it and embrace it. It's like I'm finally going to enjoy looking at sheep ass. <laughs> so I, I I did that, and it wasn't. It was a matter of weeks before another opportunity arose, which was this through a process that's a pretty long story. Um, but I remember I was speaking in front of a group of about a hundred people, and I opened my arms really wide, and I said in front of everybody, "I embrace being a painter." 
I embrace it. I'm thankful that I'm a painter. It's supported my family for all these years. And I'm going to continue to give it everything I've got because it's what I'm doing right now. It's who I am. And then I just did that. And it wasn't very long after that. I'm talking about a matter of weeks or months, less than six. I went through this process of going through a behavioral analysis with somebody and got the results and talked with them and said, oh my God, I want to do this. And he said, well, let me mentor you. And he did that and, and I paid for it. And within seven months of that, I got my first analysis gig where I made uh, $8,000 in less than four hours. And then that was 15 years ago. And it just, it took off. Once I accepted where I was, who I was, what I was doing, instead of being embittered about it, it seemed to open up the rest of the world to me because I felt emotionally qualified for something else because I was embracing what I already had rather than hating it. And so- how do people learn to embrace who and what they are? This is a really, it's a self-esteem issue. Now, let me tell you some statistics based on our database. Out of thousands of people across the country and even the world in the database, we measure self-esteem. 84.27% okay. have low self-esteem. Only 16% of the public has self-esteem that allows them to feel good about living with who they are. Is that from people that you've worked with? So there's a, yeah, selection, is, so there's a selection bias in there because they're not going to come to you. It's okay. tens of thousands of people who go online and fill out an assessment that is tough to cheat. And it, it measures a self-esteem. And, and, and is, is self-esteem in this case uh, measured? Does it show up in things like imposter syndrome? And you know, Well, um, no. What it does is it measures your intrinsic value of the, of the self, okay? So this is something Hartman came up with, uh, Dr. Robert S. Hartman. Um, so the intrinsic valuation of yourself, like what is good? That was Hartman's claim to fame. Good is when a thing fulfills its concept. So we all have a self-concept. Is it fulfilled or unfulfilled? Most people see their self-concept as not fulfilled. So they're lacking. They're just lacking. So what that caused, and out of six different elements that can be chosen, dimensions, let's call them, this one, in my opinion, in the work that I've done, has the greatest impact on the person themselves, not necessarily their work, although it can play into it if it's too bad. I just did one this morning where the way we set up our instrument that we're using, it's an algorithm that we didn't create. It's in the public domain, but... It measures things. Most assessments you take on self-esteem, like the Hartman, it'll kick your assessment out if it's if the, the numbers are too bad and you, okay. you take it again. Well, we don't do that. We we just measure what we get. Twenty-two is about as high as it can go, and it's the worst number. This morning, yesterday, I did a thirty-one on oh. self-esteem. That's self-hatred. That's like suicidal. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Right. So really, really strong. So this person came through a different, another person. I, and I emailed that person. I said, cause I don't know anything. I'm just doing the graph. And I said, listen, is this person experiencing any issues? Or I said, this is, this isn't what I'm looking at. It's not good. And I explained some things and she came back with the email. Sounds about right to me. So this wow. is someone who's already working with the person. And there's oh. a psychiatrist. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, but they have a coaching business. Um, that works with companies and so forth, but, but the PhD is in psychology, um, in psychiatry. So, 
you know, this was huge because I'm looking at this and I'm seeing, wow, when this person does anything and then they review what they did, they always they only see what's wrong with it. When they think about who they are, they only see what's wrong with it. Have you ever been invited over to dinner at someone's home and maybe the wife makes like her quote famous spaghetti and then you say, wow, this sauce is great. And the first thing they say is, well, I could have added a little more meat. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's an inability to take a compliment. But they didn't say this needed more meat. They said, this is great, but they thought about it. They said, no, it's not. Yeah. They're always looking at it from a negative framing. A negative framework. So when I say this is great and you're arguing with me, that means you're disallowing me to put any faith in you and see you as somebody worthy of existence. You're thinking, I'm not worthy. Please stop doing that. So and they don't know they're doing this. No one's thinking about it. It's just playing out. So when you're doing this with corporations, with companies, you're still having to look at people on an individual basis. Yes. This isn't this isn't about just getting a, an aggregate measure and saying, oh, most you got mostly tomatoes, not no, mostly ham. I don't do that. It's I mean, gotta I be can't on it. do that, but it you can't. That. Yeah, no. yeah. So so tell us about uh, about about the work um, and how you how you apply it on an individual basis. Okay. So typically an organization contacts me because they heard through another organization that this will be really helpful. Um, I take the main person first, the owner of the organization, and I run them through what I call the Holy Trinity, which is a behavioral, a motivational, and an axiological assessment. They all exist out there in the world, but we've created our own. Um, My statement setting is raw and actual. You may take an assessment with another organization out there and it says like, oh, you're a golden retriever, Mm -hmm. right? You take mine, it says you have a fear of not being liked. Okay. It it just cuts right to the chase because we're about solving problems. um, and, And that's what we do. So the statements are very raw. And I will look at this and then I will debrief the person. So we don't sell assessments as much as we interpret assessments. Now I get people bringing the assessments from wherever they got it to me to have me read it for them, like a tarot card. (laughs) Um, And so I look at these and then I help them understand how they're wired. And now what they'll begin to realize is, oh my God, that's why this. Oh my gosh, that's why that. Oh my, like everything starts to come clear. And so I help them navigate that And a lot of times in an organization, we have two kinds of authorities, title authority and functional authority. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if somebody has title authority, then they have authority through being appointed and so forth. And if you're familiar with John Geyer's work, he always says uh, emergent authority is so much better than title authority. In other words, who a group take as a whole elevates into a position of leadership because out of love and respect that person ends up being a greater leader than a person who's appointed for them. Yes. Um, And so uh, we look at these things and I say, oh, okay, this is wonderful. You have the title, but you don't have a good enough function. This might be why you're frustrated. How are we doing so far? And they're like, yes. Oh my gosh. You know, and maybe they were put in a position because we had an opening. We had something happen that was unfortunate. You're the one that seems most qualified. Let's put you in. And inadvertently, the company is setting this great person up for failure. Five years later, they're going to get fired because they don't do their job well. This is what happened. But nobody's addressing really why this happened. 
Well, we see it often in sales, right? Where where the sales management position comes open and they pick the best salesperson mm-hmm. to go and take that position. And they they end up hating it and sucking at that position yeah. because their job, what they, they love and what they do is interacting with customers or however that sales yeah. position is working. Yeah. But now they've gone for, into yeah. a management role. Absolutely. That- Your typical sales type, I will say, I don't want to pigeonhole people, but just for the sake of this conversation, the typical salesperson is a visionary type, not a managerial type. Matter of fact, they don't know how they do what they do. The best salespeople pull rabbits out of hats, but they don't know where the rabbits come from. (laughs) But when you get into a sales management role, you got to teach other people to go get the rabbit, put it in a hat and pull it out. Yeah. Well, they don't know how they do it. So how can they help you do it? Well, you, that reminds me very much. I've heard, a, and I can't remember who said this, but they were talking about basketball coaches and they're saying, you know, the best basketball players never make the best coaches because they don't, they don't understand how they do, they do what they do, but you get that third string basketball that, that made the, that has enough knowledge, but they worked at it and they figured out, I have to improve this in order to do that. Right. So they were the ones who end up being the best coaches. Yeah. And oh, I had a, I had a company that they just could not fill this role. They kept bringing people in that did that kind of work and they kept elevating people up in the company that did that kind of work. None of it worked. So they called me and I said, have you ever thought about hiring somebody who doesn't know how to do that? Mm. And they're like, that's novel. (laughs) (laughs) I said, yeah, isn't it? How's your plan working? You know, and it wasn't. And so my suggestion was find somebody who has knowledge, industry experience and industry knowledge, but isn't an expert at that per se. What they're good at is motivating and helping people. Yeah. And that will bring, but that's, that's contrary to what you would think. It's just like turning into the skid. That doesn't make any sense. You have to be taught to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, but that's what saves you from going over the cliff. And the same thing in work, it's these counterintuitive decisions that need to be made that seemingly are unconventional, um, but are the one decisions that's going to change everything for you if you make it. So so for our listeners, the turning into the skid, if you do not know this, if you start skidding and turning in a car, the, the natural reaction is to turn against the skid, not turn into the way that you're turning. But in reality, that's what stops you from can go in and just doing 360s all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Wisdom, wisdom from Kurt at this time of the morning. I just love it. <laughs> you know, I haven't even had my first, you know, caffeine drink. So there you go. Wow. Automotive intelligence just like blooming here. He <laughs> <laughs> brought it up. I just was explaining. <laughs> Anybody ever tell you you look like Dave Ramsey? <laughs> <laughs> I keep getting that image in my head. <laughs> okay. Oh, Tim's going to use that against me oh, now. Thank yeah. you so oh, much. Oh, Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. All right. Uh, Steve, let's talk about um, the uh, Aristos personality theory. So uh, the Aristos personality model was really developed by John G. Geyer and Dorothy E. Downey, um, you know, back in the 60s, 70s. Um, and it's really about the Aristos comes from a word that means towards the best. So this is really about being your best version of yourself. I've heard people consult on, you know, let's take some assessments. Let's use the disc assessment for an example. Yep. They'll look at a person who their anger is 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 not in play. It there's no consistency in their anger, which means that would be like a low D. And they might say, Well, we gotta get your D up. Um 
So basically, that's like going into a, a, a car dealership that sells, you know, Volkswagens and saying to one of the cars, all right, we need to make you a Corvette. <laughs> so basically, my thing is, well, let's stop all that because you know how that's going to look and how that might work. Why don't we just go to the Corvette store and buy one already made? Okay. We don't want to turn people into something other than they already are because all their talent, all their assets are in what they are, not who they might be or should be or are supposed to be. If you need that, go find that person. But this person here, everybody has earning power. Everybody has behavioral, motivational, and axiological assets. We got to find out what they are and then plug it in. And sometimes we don't need any of this. Okay, well, now, if you keep that person, they're frustrated and you're frustrated and they'll never be good at it. This goes against consistent grains in the coaching world out there. But since the Internet, coaching is blown up. I don't even like the word because basically, if you can't get a job, you become a coach. Right. <laughs> and so, um, Tim, you're a coach, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, what's happening yeah. is I'm one of the know, best. <laughs> we have to look at people and say, there's nothing wrong with the way you are. You're a basketball, but you're on a football field. So, you know, if you know that you can decide what you want to do with it, but it's it's harder to try to make a football, a basketball into a football. That's a lot of time, a lot of money, and it won't last. Right. And so typically people, you know, aren't too out of place. Uh, they just need to know what's going on and where the greatest asset is and then just do that or maximize it to the degree that you can. That's the Aristos model. It's making better decisions based upon who you are. It's seeing other people as they are, not as you are, because we don't see people as they are. We see them as we are. So if I'm not, if I'm outgoing and talkative and I say hi to you exuberantly in the morning and you just look at me, does that mean you don't like me? Or does it mean you're task oriented? You're interdirected. You've got something on your mind and I just interrupted you. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's probably what that means. But I might feel like, oh, I don't think Bill likes me. Why? Because if I did that, it'd be because I'd be ignoring you. Right. They're doing it because they don't do people as well as they do things. Right. And we always see people through the lens that we view ourselves. And Absolutely. so. So if I can teach people to see other people for who they really are, not for who they think they are, or if they're like they themselves, now the entire curse that's 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 over the umbrella of a curse that's over every group of people that don't understand who each other is is resolved i just had a situation where i was called as a quote last resort before we fire this person okay okay wow. this person is family in a family-owned business family through marriage right and they're like let me tell you what's going on and they give this whole list of things and i'm thinking dang I said, listen, the odds of me helping you here, I, 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 just, I just don't know. I can't give you any promises. Odds are good it's not going to happen, just based on what you've told me. So, but let me get the, the profiles done and we'll see where we go. I did the profiling. I did 10 weeks, 10 weeks of a one-hour video conference like this every week, every Friday for 10 weeks. And now they're like, who the hell is this guy and what did you do with the other one? <laughs> oh, interesting. Like they, and, and, and how what what happened there? He didn't understand 
how he was coming across to other people. Just didn't see it. Blind. Completely blind. I just did cataract surgery. Okay. That's Basically it. took the blinders off of I him. Took the blinders off. When you do this, everybody else sees this because everybody else, all the people that have a problem with you, have over-exaggerated, overextended hyper-empathy. And he doesn't have empathy. Mm. Does that make him a bad guy? No. It means he's emotionally distant from people and he's a perfectionist. So while you're thinking about how you're going to make me feel, he's thinking about how you need to do such and such. Right. That's the only, that's what that, that's going on, but nobody knows what's going on. It's just that these people here feel slighted. They feel unimportant. They feel stupid. They feel all these things. So because they're feeler, feeler types, they go to their manager, not the person making them uncomfortable because they sneak around the back window with a jackknife. He comes at the front door with a shotgun. It's just how they think. So they can't do that. So they're in an unmarked van doing surveillance and nobody knows they're there, <laughs> right? So they go over here and do this. And what they create is a, is a gossip group, oh, right? Yeah. So they've got this silo and they're all like puppies just licking each other's wounds over here in the little kennel. And he's just going about his business going, where is everybody? What's going on here? Why won't anybody talk to me, right? Doesn't know what's happening. So we just figured this whole thing out and, you know, now I'm working with the rest of the company. Right. Like it was just, all it is, is complete misunderstanding, which is the mother of all problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was expecting that, that you're, that you were going to lead to major organizational change, that he was in the wrong job and that they needed to switch his roles and, uh, and recast him. There. I think five years and the company's up by five or 600% because of some of the things he's implemented. Yeah. So it wasn't the wrong role. It was the wrong wrong interaction style. I don't like your brain type. Yeah. (laughs) And I keep misinterpreting it. That's what's going on. Well, and that it comes down to a lot of communication. How do I communicate with you? How do you communicate with me? And if we're, if I'm communicating through the lens that I see the world and you can't read Arabic and I, I've seeing the world in Arabic and, and you're coming back to me in Spanish and I don't have a clue about Spanish, you know, maybe every once in a while we both speak English and Mm -hmm. in that kind of mix, but for the most part, we're just not being able to understand. Think about, think about this for a minute. Let's say, you did something wrong for the second time in one week and I'm your manager. Okay. I could look at you and say, I told you not to do this, man. Or I could say, have we talked about this yet? Like we're going to get to the same issue. But if I say, I told you not to do this and you're passive, I just smashed you in the face with a hammer. But if I said, have we talked about this yet? You might say, I don't know. Oh, are they going to say, absolutely, I'm just ignoring you? <laughs> well, that's Tim. That's me. When, when I talk to Tim, he goes, yeah, no, I just. Right? So they're up, invited man. into an engagement process that they can be part of that solution, which is what that brain likes. But if I just say, I told you not to do that, uh, then the brain, that brain waits for the threat to be gone and then does what it wants. And that doesn't make them a bad person. It makes them human. So, so what I'm hearing you say, and, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding this or misinterpreting this component, the, the way that you're using personality in the sense is, is really, it, it's, it's 
I need to understand myself, which is important, but I need also, I need to understand how myself is seen by others. And so I need to understand others as much or better than I understand myself. Absolutely. Here's my formula. Understand self, manage self, understand others, manage your relationship with them Mm. based on how different they are. Yeah. That's it. That's that's what emotional intelligence is in a nutshell. Right. Fantastic. And so that that's all that is. You know how many people have crickets, invisible crickets, just sitting on their shoulder, whispering in their ear all day, going, Are you sure you want to go in there? You sure you want to do that? You sure you want to say that? You sure that's gonna be okay? You sure they're not gonna get mad? Probably about forty seven percent of the country. Wow. Okay, who has no cricket? Less than four percent of the country. One of them's our president. <laughs> Right? No cricket at all. There's no cricket. You, sure you want to tweet that? You sure you want to tweet that? Nothing. Bird's <laughs> nothing. dead. Nothing <laughs> going on there. Right? Just Former President Bill Clinton. No cricket. You sure you want her to come in here and do this in the Oval Office? No cricket. <laughs> no. <laughs> on, no. Right? So when we don't have a cricket, we have nothing to measure our actions against that is going to say something contrary to them. So I can look at a company and see who's got crickets and who doesn't. It's easy. And now I know what's happening. I know why these people are apprehensive because they got a big old invisible cricket sitting on their shoulder questioning everything they do. All they do is second guess themselves. And then the people with no crickets steamroll them. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, but that's what's happening. But now that everybody knows, it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's actually funny now to them. So does, uh, do the people who, uh, you've got the, the people, the cricket people and the non cricket people, and do they change their behavior? Now, uh, you know, we, we talk about the GI Joe fallacy, you know, Lori Santos's uh, model that knowing is not even close to half the battle just because we right. know doesn't actually mean we're going to act on it. That's exactly so, right. So, so knowing so- creates a new reality. Then you got to live in that reality, right? Or ignore that reality. So living in that reality is like this. When I'm with you, I am going to use more commas and question marks than periods and exclamation points. So I create little rules. So when you're with this person, it's questions, 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 and commas. Oh, really? How'd that make you feel? Well, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, that's interesting. Is that something that you think you'll continue to do? You know, you keep doing this, and all of a sudden, that person talking starts realizing the error of their way. Right. Pulling it out like water out of a well. And they can hear it in their own voice. Now I could say, you know what? You, you hold it right. You just said something that's really important. And then they're like, well, I can't argue with myself. I just said that's what I do. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Do you think that's working? No, I, it, it, I, I, I did. Like, I just drew it. It was so deep in the well, they didn't even know it was there. Right. Right. So we see people that are like that don't tell themselves where they stand on the issue and they don't tell you. The people that are opposite that, they tell everybody like it is. And so it creates this problem, right, and a challenge. So when when we do this, and there's some people, they ask me, are you going to the meeting? And I just look at them and go, no, and stare at them. And they're like, okay, great. And they walk off. But if I did that to another person, they'd be like, uh, are we done? I don't, I, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what to do, right? And so that person, I say, no, I'm really not going to be able to go. Are you going? Mm. Yeah, I'm going to be going, oh, cool. If you see Bob, tell him I said hi. Okay, great. And they leave. Now their brain leaves going, wow, that was a good engagement. <laughs> well, okay, so this is your behavior. You are modifying your behavior to match the person that you're talking to. It's called way. mirroring. Yeah. 
Yes, um, you you have to do a little bit of mirroring so people feel comfortable with you. Because human beings are by nature against what they don't understand. Okay, this think of a white-tailed deer, right? It's eating, it's listening, it's looking, and it goes down and eats it. Here's an uncertain sound or has an uncertain smell. It jukes its head up. It looks around. This is the deer's limbic system. There's a signal that goes in that limbic system, and it gives it two choices, approach or avoid. Right. We all have that same component in our brain. Every one of us, the lizard brain, right? And so when you meet somebody and you have an engagement, you're not even a minute in and approach or avoid signals are going off. You're not conscious of it. You just know you don't want to have this conversation, but you don't know what it is. And so what we do is help people understand and navigate the differences in people and what it means and doesn't mean. And when we get that, and then when we see that, we reinterpret it differently. Do you know when you, if you have your own website and you monitor your own website and put in and out images and so forth, you could go online, upload images to your website, change the website, and then you're all excited. You go back and you you go into the website and look at it, and it's the same website you had yesterday. And you're like, what the heck happened? You didn't refresh it. Mm. You have to refresh the website because the cookies and the images and the cache on your local hard drive is the same as it's ever been unless you replace those images with the new ones. When we look at people, we're all running out of old websites because we never we never reboot them. We never empty the cache and put new images in. So every time I see a person who acts like that, it reminds me of my stupid uncle. And I don't want to have this conversation. But you got to update the images. And I have to help people do this because they don't know how to work a computer, you see, in their own minds. Right. And sometimes that takes a lot of time. Sometimes it doesn't. But that's what's going on. We all see the world in a certain way. And if the world isn't that way, but we're interpreting it as it is that way, we're misinterpreting the world. And then we have problems and challenges. Well, this is going to be particularly hard uh, for to make a change because I don't want to admit that I was wrong, that the position that I, I've been holding is somehow out of sync with the world. And I, I don't want to change. That's the beauty of this, right? So what do I do? I teach people how the brain works. We don't look at the world and verify if what we're doing and how we're doing it is right we don't do that. We justify how we feel in the world. This is why we have the polarization in our country, because you have two ideological perspectives, and neither one of them is looking to verify if what they believe is stupid. Right. No one's doing that. They're justifying why they do it. And as long as that happens, you'll have problems. And people say, well, my God, you know, how can you help anybody. Well, I'm like the guy on the beach with 100,000 starfish that washed ashore. And he's taking one at a time and throwing them back, thus they die. And somebody comes along and says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm saving the starfish. He goes, you're never going to save all this. He goes, well, I just saved that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. It's just one person at a time to help them understand how this is working and how they can be a better version of who they are and see everybody else for who they are. And then work that out in a way that brings forth, you know, a lot of good things. Right. And that's, it's one of the hardest things I think to do is, is look at this and go, wow, I can help these individuals, but this problem is much larger. And so is there a way that we can 
can scale this up and do this, but in sometimes you just can't. And so yeah. you have to just say, all right, that's fine. I, yeah. I can, I can throw this starfish back and that yeah. starfish is saved. Sorry about the other 999,000 yeah. there. Yeah. But, you know, I was asked to come in and speak to a company about eight years ago, seven years ago, and I did the hop, the upper echelon. So I did all the sea level people. Um, and then I got all the results and then I met with the CEO founder and I went through all his subordinates there. He said, tell me what you think about these people. But I said, yeah, no, they're great. But here's some things I'm seeing. I said, this person right here, uh, he's your uh, CFO? Yes. Okay. So he, he knows what everybody's being paid. Yes. Have you ever asked him if he's happy with his own pay? He said, no. Should I? I said, well, I want to show you something. Look at how his brain works. No matter what he wants, he can't get. What do you mean? I said, he wants to be in charge, let's say, because he's got leadership potential, because he has a power orientation in his brain. So he thinks about being in charge of things. But when you look at his behavior, he can't take charge. So he goes, well, what does that mean? It means he settles for what he can get, but he doesn't know how to fight for what he wants. Mm. He goes, okay, so what are you telling me? I say, I would check with him to see if he's content and happy with where he is on his pay scale right now, because he sees a lot of money going out. And a lot of it is a lot of money. And some people are making a lot of money here. I said, and if you think he's really good and worth keeping, it might be worth checking. And if it's 10 to 20,000 more, would that be worth it than getting another person? He says, yeah. I said, why don't you check? He got back to me a few weeks later. Guy was in the middle of building a new house. Didn't He didn't know that. He was strapped. He didn't know that. He wasn't saying anything. He didn't know that. And he was thinking about his options. He would have quit resigned, never said why. And they would have been like, we don't know what happened. I saved it just like that. Just because people are working. They're not, the job isn't to come in and break your brain down and figure you out. The job is to do what they have the task at hand. So while everybody's just doing their thing, this person here is feeling very unhappy. He's got a lot of brain tension about this. He's not saying a word and will likely vanish one day because of it. And then I brought it to the surface. I just had him check. He checked. He happily gave him a raise. Everything was great. So, Steve, you, you, you said everybody's doing their job in various different things. But in my mind, and this is my mind, and so sometimes that goes off in weird <laughs> places and isn't always in you know the, the, the truth of things. But that, that leadership role ought to be, obviously, there's some strategy and there's some, there's some actual things that they're doing. But that leadership role is really about understanding and how do I tap into the potential of the people that are working for me? Absolutely. So, so that should be their job. So shouldn't that have that, that, that owner or the, the president should have been asking those questions before you had to come in and say yes. today? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But you see, people, when they get in a work dynamic, what most human beings do is start to compete. Right. So it's not compassion, it's competition. That's human nature, right? Everybody wants to rule the world. <laughs> All right. There's right. a musical <laughs> reference right there. <laughs> sounds familiar, doesn't it? Right. Remember the, the cartoon Pinky in the Brain? Oh, yes. One of my favorites. All right. So what's the goal today? Take over the world. Well, absolutely. Every single religion, that's the goal. Take over the world. Politics, take over the, the city, take over the town, take over the country, take over the nation, take over the world, right? That's that, you know, when Jesus comes back, what's he going to do? Take over the world. Like, 
Like yeah. everybody's main goal right. is to take over the world and be part of the winning team. <laughs> right. As long as I'm on the winning team, that's going to be great. Exactly. But what people don't realize is that this is the psychological agenda and they don't know it. They just go in and they're doing their thing. And you ever heard of being thrown under the bus? Oh, like, yeah. How often does this happen? All well, the time. Every week with Tim, he throws <laughs> me under the bus. Every week. Obviously, people are trying to protect themselves within the competition, right? No one lays down. Nobody. As a rule, they have to be taught that. You look at you look at nature. You get two mountain goats on the side of a mountain. I saw this on a National Geographic thing one time. And there's no impasse. They're going to butt heads and both careen down the edge of the cliff if something doesn't happen here. <laughs> Guess what? One of them lies down. The other one walked right over it. Yeah. Right? It was fascinating. People don't do that. So, Steve, do you think because it, in, in that leadership position, they've risen through the ranks, do you believe that people with more of a competitive nature, so part of that, their own personality, tend to rise into those positions where – and again, it goes back into what we talked about earlier. If if I'm a good salesperson, but I get promoted up into this management, it, maybe they're promoting the wrong style and different mm-hmm. types of things that are needed for those. Is that is that something you've seen or do you have a, a p- opinion on that? Yes. I mean, people inadvertently promote their friends. Um, people uh, inadvertently promote the loudest mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, people inadvertently promote the people that have the greatest external features that they can see. Do you know people that talk more than quiet people? People look at them and think they're smarter. Yeah. Okay. Is that the case? There's zero correlation if you read the book Quiet. Yeah. Right. There's zero correlation between being loud and being right. But that's not how leadership functions in America today. Um, so there's all these things that have been happening for a long time that we have to break down, break apart, open up, become decisive about it. There's a great book out there by Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodall called Nine Lies About Work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, terrific. You've said that, read that, but it's so disruptive that I don't know if people are going to be able to do it. Um, they're talking about not cascading goals, but you cascade meaning. Um, they're talking about people don't look for the best place to work. They look for the best people to work with. Mm. So they went in and, 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 and they did meetings. Uh, Buckingham went into Cisco and talked with thousands of people, all these different people about what they look forward to. This and they were looking forward to sitting at that table and having lunch with those four people. And they didn't even talk about work when they did it. And that's the highlight of their day. Yeah. I mean, this is crazy. Um, and so it's human, it's human. It's this is a human, human condition. right? But the model we have is to create income. That's what businesses do. And they do it as quickly as possible. And unfortunately, a lot of them are the expense of human beings in the process. Not every company is like that. I have some companies, they invest a lot of money into their people, right? Because they know that they are the organization. Not every company knows that. Um, so the people that do know that, they have people that don't leave and they have lines of people trying to get in to that organization, right? It, it, it creates this cultural dynamic where you matter, you're important, and we wouldn't have what we have if it wasn't for you. When people have that going on, they have meaning and purpose. When you have meaning and purpose, it feels better than money. Um, and so it, the job is to help people discover meaning and leadership to cascade that meaning down 
and have people come into work that feel like they're necessary, they're needed, they're important, they're an integral part of the organization. If people don't feel that, they're going to go somewhere else. And you've heard this. They don't quit their jobs as much as they quit their teams and bosses. Yeah. Right. Um, and so the problems in work usually are behavior-based, not education-based, not skill-based. They cover those bases bringing people in usually. And then they get in and it's like, uh-oh, what happened? And it's like there's dysfunction, but it's behavioral. Right. Um, so I just, a lot of times I just go into organizations, I'll be going out to Kansas uh, on the 12th and the 11th and 12th, speaking to about a hundred people about how the brain works. These are the types of brains, which one are you? And everybody takes my assessment. So they all have it with them at their seat. And at the end, I just pick people out at random and say, let me see your numbers. And we write them down and shine them on the wall. And I, so I just stand there and start talking about them how they think, how they do things, how they correct their kids, everything. And they are in tears, either crying or laughing. <laughs> I mean, it, it's unbelievable. You and are the, you are the magician. What's that? You're that magician that like is, full, you know, it's like here. Art, you know, but they come away going, oh my gosh, I've had people coming up to me going, I think I'm in the wrong role. I'm in the wrong role. They just get it just like that. And they're like, now I realize why I don't want to go to work or why I feel the way I feel. Or I've been misinterpreting this other person in my life this whole time. I had a woman in a seminar I did, hadn't had a good conversation with her son in I don't know how long. He hadn't talked to his father in six years because there was a divorced family. Uh, he was locked in his room playing games and wasn't going to college. And it was, she was in tears. So I said, call him up and get him to take this assessment. So she did, and he did. So it came in that afternoon. So in the seminar, I put her son up on the screen in front of the whole seminar. I said, here's your son's numbers. She stood up, and I said, here's how you talk to your son. And I just explained how he thinks. She was just looking and taking notes. And 48 hours later after that meeting, she called me or emailed me and said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Best conversation I had with my son in I don't know how many years. A couple of months later, he's now speaking with his father. A couple of months later, he went to college. Yeah, that's terrific. Just like that. All misunderstanding. I love that. I love it. Yeah, the, the natural outcome of communication, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's but, the right know, it, it's the right communication. It's communication it, yeah. that is is you are trying to communicate to make a better <laughs> understanding between you two as opposed to saying this is what just regurgitating everything that's in your brain out at people that they're again, it goes back to that language, yeah. you know, I'm not understanding you. I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to understand you. You have to yeah. try to understand me. And that's not how, like, that's how communication works. Who uses a head of lettuce to hammer nails? Like, well, 60% of the workforce is doing this behaviorally with people in management. Wow. They're using yeah. a head of lettuce to hammer a nail. And they wonder why the nail isn't going in the wall. Let's just, <laughs> let's just find good salads for those, for those uh, heads of lettuce. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you've heard this, everyone who's a hammer sees every human being as another nail. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's, that image is just so powerful. Everyone's a nail, but everyone's not a nail. <laughs> no. Some are tomatoes. Most people are not nails. Like, we've got the numbers, right? Most people are not nails. Most people are passive. Most people won't tell you where they stand on the issue. Most people second-guess themselves. Most people think internally but say nothing externally. Most people doubt themselves. 
on and on and on and on it goes. And then you got a authoritarian leader with all these people that are more likely like that. And they're wondering why they're not doing the happy dance. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's incredible. It gets, it gets interesting and, and you can take that analogy. And if you just apply that analogy to a number of different situations, I'm sure our listeners have, are, you know, thinking about this in their own world, right? Mm-hmm. I can look at, I can look at organizations I work with. I can look at uh, volunteer organizations that I, you know, volunteer at. I can look at local community government. I can look at state government. I can look at our national government. And you look at all of those things and that, that analogy applies. That is, mm-hmm. it, it fits in right there. So in, in understanding that then hopefully what we can do is we then can modify our own way that we show ourselves up, show up yeah. into the world. So you are only able to lead to the degree that you're willing to serve. Mm. And when you take that thinking and you look at the people you have and you want to understand them so you can serve them better, then you will already be ahead of the game in that, in that model. Why do people love reality shows? Because they see the personality differences in play. Yeah. And they're fascinated by it. They can't stop watching it, but they don't see it in their own life. No, not at all. Why? Why would we? Why would we be introspective when it's so much That's more right. just to look at it on the TV and enjoy the entertainment value of it? That's right. Yep. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Tim, you want to talk music? I, I do. I want. I want to talk about uh, what are you listening to lately, Steve? What? What's uh, playlist? Have you downloaded anything cool uh, recently? Well, you know, I I went and saw uh, A Star Is Born. And I got that soundtrack. Okay. Um, and I just, I love Lady Gaga. Um, and she did an amazing job. It, it was, yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, and again, I, I think when I watch movies, I, I watch them as in a deep, a very deep sense. Um, the people types and, and that kind of a thing and how that's playing out. Um, but I do like movie soundtracks. Like if I see a good movie, I like to get the soundtrack because then I relive the feelings I had in the film through the because song. It brings back those memories, right? Yeah, you're, you're, you're I, now- yeah. I do that a lot. I am more a listener of words than I am a listener of music, although I do like music. Like I like Foreigner. Okay. Um, so if I put Alexa on or the, the pool pod out back when I'm in the pool, it's 70s slash 80s mild rock music foreigner electric light orchestra maybe some queen um i i I like that and even my kids today they like listen to mr blue sky because it was playing in my truck when i was when they were children um that's cool they're all you know they like that genre of music so before we started recording you were talking about uh listening to a podcast sword and uh scale and said that you got a you were so excited you went and got some music after listening to it on that. Do you do you remember that? Yes, I did. Yeah. So I got the album The Pariah, the Parrot, the Delusion by Dredge, D-R-E-D-G. It's fantastic. I mean, to me. I, yeah. I, I love it. And one of my favorite uh songs on there is called Down to the Cellar. Um and uh I said to myself, okay, this is going to be my bumper music for speaking. 
<laughs> oh wow, wow! That that's um, going to be your uh, on stage, so off stage thing. On stage huh? music, yeah. I'm already going to get it cued, um, you know, and uh, so just kind of play that. Um, people are probably going to ask, "What is that? Where's that from?" And I'll tell them, "Get this album." Great. Um, and now, is that in that '70s, '80s? No, not at all. Rock? It, it, okay, it, it's not. Um, it's it has a name. My kids would know what it is. Um, it's not a mainstream type um, so- style. It may be for the younger people. I'm 56, for heaven's sake. <laughs> um, uh, but this album came out in 2009. I didn't know anything about it until I heard or heard it on the podcast. And immediately I'm like, I hope to God he says who that is. And he did in the next sentence. Yeah. Um, and I, I immediately got off the podcast and went and bought it. <laughs> That's terrific. Well, I, I just love the idea of hearing you say, I bought it. Because oh, I don't. I don't scam music. I buy it every time. That, because uh, I sell. Congratulations, books. man! I know what that's like, and I will buy the album. I mean, if you can't pay nine ninety nine to a creative person like that who blows your mind, you've got something wrong with you. Yeah, that's very true. Wow, you're you're my new god. <laughs> I will worship you. That is. I think that that's the best thing I've heard all day. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. How true. Um, okay, Steve. Thank you. Thanks so thank much. Thank you. Hey, it's been fun, Steve, and thank you. Great, great job. I I appreciate you having me on. Um, It it was fun. I enjoyed it, too. Welcome to Grooving. This is the Grooving Session, right? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our Grooving Session, where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our Behavioral Grooves interview have a free-flowing discussion on some of those topics and whatever else comes into our personality-infused minds. Whoa. (laughs) I'm just going to do a little psychedelic whoa. Yeah, that was a really, I don't know if that was psychedelic or just (laughs) creepy. (laughs) But we talk a lot about personality in this episode. I thought that was really cool because it's one of the things that was actually, I used personality as part of my dissertation. So that was, it was a nice going back to that. Yeah, you did. You, you dig that stuff. You really do. I do. It was, I I don't know if I dig it, you know, I'm not getting a shovel out. This is digging it. This is behavioral grooves. (laughs) It's going to be groovy. (laughs) No, but I, I, I do look at it. It's, it's very interesting because I think personality, I think there's a lot of personality assessments that are out there on the market that are just crap, right? They are just bullshit crap, uh, you know. Right. Um, you, you can go ahead and name them. Yeah, the, the Myers-Briggs is the, yeah. the one that comes, you know, top, which is the the most used personality assessment in the world. Yeah, we have to, we have to stop using that, especially at work. Yeah, because, I mean, one of the factors, it, it has this component where people go, oh, yeah, that's me. You know, and, and, and so it has this this kind of face validity to it. Yeah, so does it, a horoscope. It, well, exactly. <laughs> and that's that's part of this component. I mean, A, it's based on this, you know, crappy, you know, background history and various different things. But the real issue with it is that the, you know, the, the retake, if 50% of the people, when they retake it a few months later, gives them a different personality. Now, we know personality changes, but it doesn't change after two or three months. Or, and or, it doesn't change drastically like that. Yeah. And, and so you're, you're, you're making false uh, components, right? You're, you're, you're basing 
these judgments because of a false component. I get into this argument with a friend of ours and comes up to the cabin pretty much every every year. She's a she's a true believer and 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 I'm just not. I think it is it is it is there. I mean, I use uh, the big five, the ocean kind of component, which has the the been studied for thirty plus years, has a ton yep. of research that backs it. And I think Axios probably is is pretty good. I don't know that much into it, but it sounds like it is it has some some very good it's got a good reputation behind it and so various yeah, different things with that. All right. So that was my little tirade. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, listeners. That was I, my little deal just going off on that. I think it's good. I have my personal memory of Myers Briggs, the first time I took it, I was in my early twenties. I was being considered for a management job. And so I was asked to sit down and, and take this and do a whole bunch of uh, other tasks and tests. And they came back and they said, well, we're not sure if your personality is right for, you know, right for this job. And I, I and I said, well, how, how should I have answered the questions? Like, uh, what, what mindset should I have been? And they're like, well, you know, you should have been thinking about how you are at work. I'm like, well, th- the questions aren't framed as work questions. No. So it was like, what? It, it, so it seems screwy to me right at the beginning, right? You know, the very first time that I encountered it, I guess that's what, what I'm saying. Were they saying that you weren't managerial quality? Is that <laughs> right. what they were saying? Right. Well, maybe it worked then. I don't know. Oh, I'm no, sorry. I went on to manage lots of people. You, and you did a really good job. There you go. Well, I had a career in it, but I don't know. But it, it's it's odd, though. You're doing your self-deprecating thing. That's what we were going to talk about, Oh, there's right? not enough meat in the sauce, right? Yeah, that's what Steve said. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's, what did you find interesting about well i want to come back to there's not enough meat in the sauce okay well let's start with steve just oh first such a fun conversation really i really enjoyed talking to him and the big quote for me is we don't see people as they are we see people as we are i know Oh, that's like wisdom there, man. That's just like wisdom. <laughs> wisdom in, in a sentence. There, it, It's true, though. We look at people and we judge them. We, we, we judge their intent based on how we see the world, yeah. not how they come to the world. And I think it's a really important component, and particularly as we are trying to work together in teams or even just trying to to learn and get to know somebody, it's really difficult for us to put ourselves into their shoes. And yet that's really what we need to do in order to understand that. And aside from being difficult to put ourselves in their shoes, we, with our biases, we aren't even doing a good job of putting us in our shoes. That's that's my big beef with 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 that is how we uh, endow ourselves with all kinds of um, logic and ability when we're judging someone else that we disregard in the, in a situation that's like that you know ourselves you know uh, my favorite example is I had to cut that guy off when I was trying to get when he he wouldn't let me into the exit lane to get off the freeway so I had to cut him off right and then he flips me off and then I'm like you mf you know I can't believe what you didn't let me in okay so I'm, you know, from my perspective, I'm pissed at him for not letting me in, but he's just driving along. I didn't take, I didn't prepare. I could have just, I could have slowed down, could have gotten in behind that that car. I could have gone on to the next exit and turned around. There's a whole variety of things I could do, but my biases kept me from seeing that and saying, God damn it, all I wanted to do was just get off the freeway at that exit and that dude wouldn't let me in. Yeah. 
It's the, the component of saying, I'm looking at my my needs, my intentions, and that so frames my viewpoint on the world that yeah. it's very hard for me to step off, step out of that that mindset, and to say, "Wait, he was just driving. He had no clue that I had to get off at that intersection." I, also, the fact that, hey, I probably in reality should have been slowing down and getting over yes. into that lane. A lot bef- a much lot sooner than what I did here, <laughs> right. um, but we don't take that into account, right? I mean, no. no, my 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 thing is that guy didn't let me in. It's so not that it was my fault to begin with that I was in that no, situation. So we're judging him as an asshole. We're judging him as a bad driver, and we're gonna gonna layer all this stuff on him. That is being processed by our bias, right? By by being processed by our needs, that of course he has no idea of of, of what's going on. Yeah. Um, a lot of your work, though, uh, Kurt, your your thesis came from self schemas and self identities, right? Yeah. And so I, I I love hearing you talk about this because this is really core to to the self identity thing, right? We well, are using our own identity to process how we're seeing the world and seeing others. We are, and I think there's a really key component of this that that Steve brought up again, which was the the little cricket that's on our shoulder, right? He brought up that whole component. And regardless of whether or not you think our president has a cricket or doesn't have a cricket, you know, I I think there is some reality there. And it's the self-talk component that we have with ourselves, right? It is the component of our identity gets formed because of the words that we use to describe who we are. And and that's that you're, and just to clarify, that's the words that we're using, like when we're literally talking to ourselves, right? That's in, inside, in our, inside our head, but also it's the words that we use uh, outside that, that mm-hmm. sometimes have a have a stronger force because now they're public, and so now we have this confirmation component, this consistency element that Cialdini talks about, right? That oh, I have said this in public, so now I have to reinforce that with reality, and then you get into this whole component of. Uh, do my behaviors match this self-identity that I have? And so how do I overcome that? Do I either, does my identity shift in order to, to fit with that? Or do I discount that, which is the main thing that we typically end up doing? Or do I shift my behavior in order to, to then realign with actually what my self-identity is? And so those are some interesting components that we're yeah. going into this. And regardless of where we're having that conversation, if we're having that conversation at home or at work or in the locker room or on a bus with Access Hollywood, wherever we are, you know, those things, uh, those words that we're saying are going to have some relationship to our self-identity, right? You know, I've never had an opportunity to have a conversation on a bus with Access Hollywood, but if I was, I think it would probably represent, you know, my personality of who who I really am. There, that, that being said, the talk that we do, right, that, that self-talk, has a big impact not only on on how we view ourselves, but then how we present ourselves to the world, right? Yeah. And so, uh, as we talked about, you know, the the what Steve talked about is that self talk. You go to somebody's house and they they make you this great dinner and it's actually fantastic, and you go, "Wow, this was great." And, and I say, "I could have had more meat in the sauce." Right. You you you're not. You're, so what you're doing is that you're deprecating, not deprecating. You you are um, discounting your own value and and, yeah. and discounting the the value that somebody else is saying hey this is great you have done a great job 
Um, and, and the right thing, to, the, the right, the right way to, assi- uh, to receive that is just say, yeah, thanks. Well, the, the, the but it's not a right way. It is a way that, that no, says, no, it is. It's right. No, <laughs> no. no but I think that no. it isn't a right way. What it is, is it is, the, it, it reinforces how we, we, we show up in the world. So if I say thank you and yes, then it re- then then that comes back into me and says, all right, I actually am a good cook. There, yeah. there's this component. Whereas if I come at it and say, well, there wasn't quite enough meat in that sauce, that reinforces this aspect that says, yeah, I, I I'm a fraud on this. This isn't really who I am. I'm 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 faking it, and I I don't have that that component. And so you, you're doing two things: is you're 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 now internalizing that, and so then your your subsequent behavior gets gets impacted by that. But what I think Steve was saying, and that this is an interesting part, is that you're you're invalidating his thank you, and so yes, to that part. Yes. There is a right way of saying that because yeah. you're invalidating that that component of that. Thank you. And, and I, I would say two things about that, uh, and because it's all about me. Uh, the the, <laughs> the first thing is that my wife and I have adopted the the line uh, "There is enough meat in the sauce" as our clarion call. Now, when we hear each other being self-deprecating, when we need not be. <laughs> so well, and we have. All right, I'll let you finish your second thought because I want to yeah. dig into that. So, so we we, we'll, we should come back to that. Uh, and the second thing is, I was uh, I was doing a, a, a show, a big show for me at a at a really nice venue here in town, and uh, one of the other performers uh, and I were talking before before this show, and it was it was a it was a big show for me, see to really show, you know, huge audience, uh, lots of pressure, all that kind of stuff. And he said, how are you feeling? And I said, oh man, I, I just, I just, I don't know. I'm really, I'm really nervous. I'm just not really sure about this. And he said, that's not what people paid to come here to, to experience. People paid to get in to see you be a rock star. They came in to see you perform, and that's what you need. That's the that's the reciprocity. That's the exchange. You need to deliver that to them because they don't want to see you get up and say, "This isn't working for me. I'm really nervous." Or uh, they don't want to. They don't want you to be self deprecating. They want you to be a rock star, and that that resonated with me tremendously. And I, I I've taken that too. You, did you pay him like you know some <laughs> some good money because that that's actually. Fantastic, because yeah. it, it's this component and it puts you probably sets you into a different mindset, right? Mm-hmm. It said, "All right, I I need to be this this component because that's what people are are paying to see." Very much so. I wanted to go back because I think we both have this this issue. We oh, have we, being we, self-deprecating. We we have a self-deprecating <laughs> issue. I don't know if it's an issue uh, because well, we I, do it. We do it. We 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 make fun of ourselves in a self-deprecating way, and I think. There's there's part of that which is real, right? It's it, it's who we are. God, it's our DNA. Yeah, but yeah. I also think part of that is probably are, are people listening to the show to hear us self deprecate about ourselves <laughs> uh, to to the point. You know, no, I mean, granted, they're not paying anything to listen to this. <laughs> well, there but, they're, you go. but they're paying with their time, and do they want to hear us talk about? Oh, yeah, I'm not as smart as I am. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Whatever it would be. I mean, I, I like the jibbing that we give back and forth with each other, but sometimes... Jabbing? Like, jabbing? Yeah. Jibbing? Jabbing? Jibbing is what you would do on a ship. Uh, but <laughs> you see, this is the kind of rapport that I think we could have. There we go. Okay, what else? Uh, what else? So, so we, we, we beat that to a dead horse, didn't we? There we go. Um, so... Uh, 
the other piece that I think was really interesting for me is Steve talked about using personality assessments kind of with his clients and various different things. And he told some stories about how, you know, understanding that personality, then people could communicate better. And, mm-hmm. and, and this is a key thing for me because I've done some work with clients around personality. We've done various different personality assessments, n- not the Myers-Briggs, um, but we have used different personality assessments with them. And the, the piece that I always use, particularly when you're working with a team, is that personality assessment is a great component to maybe help you understand yourself a little bit more. But reality, what, what personality assessments, the, the biggest benefit in my mind for them is that you can now hopefully change how you communicate with others to to be more effective in your communication to right? be more effective in your communication so so the the component of if i'm talking english at you and you speak italian you know it doesn't do me any good to talk louder and slower in english I need you to understand. <laughs> it doesn't help, right? And that's the thing that happens with personalities is, is that, again, we we don't see people as they are. We see people as we are. And yeah. so when we come at it saying, well, they should understand this, you know, this is how this is how it is. And their, their lens that they're viewing the world through is a different lens. And so you have to put words and the way that you communicate into their lens so that they can see it. You need to learn some Italian or you need to learn to draw pictures or you need to learn some other way of communicating with these people so that they understand and so that you can come to some consensus and and actually be talking about the same thing because oftentimes we, we, we aren't. We are ascribing intent when based on our own identity as opposed to their identity and and when that comes to communication there's all these components that get crosswired in it so in some ways that's a sort of a social reciprocity thing it's a respect right it also reminds me of uh kimberly crenshaw's work in intersectionality and she's uh, a civil rights lawyer okay she's not a psychologist but she talks about the importance of bringing our fullest selves to the workplace, okay, bringing all of who we are, and the personality test is a way to help us understand that, right? Right. That that's a lens that we can use for ourselves. But if all of us bring our fullest selves, then we have to be more respectful. We have to be knowledgeable about who this other person is that's sitting across the table from me, so that we can communicate effectively. Right. We can have those conversations, which are about who we are, but also Mm -hmm. understanding that who we are in our own minds isn't necessarily how other people view us. And so we need to help those other people understand how we see ourselves as well as understand how they see themselves so that we can, can kind of get closer together on that shared picture of the world. Yeah. That's terrific. Uh, are we ready to talk about music? Uh, of yeah, I, I'm not prepared. I'm never prepared, but so, we'll talk about well, music. We've been talking about. Uh, we were uh, earlier this morning. We were talking about playlists. Oh wait, uh, wait! I just be, before we we go, I just caught myself. Right? What did I just say? I'm never prepared to talk about music. Yeah, I always do the self deprecating thing about music, and yet in reality, you are. I talk musical. about I talk about music. We talk about music all the time, and and, and so there right, is. I am, I'm going to try to to. I, I I know I won't because some of it is just playful, and and there's this this 
Yeah. Jabbing, right? Yes. Jabbing back and forth between <laughs> us. So therefore, I'm sorry. So you were going to talk about playlists. There is enough meat in the sauce. There's enough meat in the sauce. I yes. like music and I can talk about yeah. music. I know enough music to hold a conversation. Totally. Totally. Okay. We had a conversation earlier this morning with, with uh, a guest about a, a playlist of Coldplay and Frank Sinatra combined. <laughs> <laughs> right? And at first, the idea of Coldplay and Frank Sinatra seemed insane to me. It seemed insane to me. But as soon but as soon as we started talking about it, I was like, well, maybe that could work, actually. There's okay. something kind of similar to that. Uh, so do you ever put together playlists that are sort of intentional opposites or what might be perceived as opposites to have sort of an interesting mix or... Or are your playlists a little more homogenous? Like you'll say, okay, I, you know, we've talked about the French cooking music and just serve up the French cooking music. I'm not sure if I'm intentionally putting those dichotomous components together. I do know that um, when I just hit random on my playlist, I will get that. I, yeah. will, get a, yeah. I will get a uh, Nine Inch Nails Hard hitting, heavy component, <laughs> right right next to a Damien Rice, very soft kind of oh, song. Wow. So you get these very different genres. Uh, you get very different emotional impact of the music. You get very different uh, sound from those music, and 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 I like that. There's you a do. component of that that I that I often like. Now sometimes it's too jarring. Mm-hmm. Right, and sometimes it's just like, oh god, that's uh, what, fast, what the fast hell? forward. Yeah, <laughs> skip. Damn, that just <laughs> caught me way off guard. But on the other, on the other hand, I think there's an aspect of that that it lends itself into. Oh, I'm getting kind of all here now. If I need to set a certain mood, you definitely don't want to do that. But sometimes you just are listening to listen. Our minds are novelty seeking. Yeah. So I, I, I get that. Okay. How about you? Do you have a do you have a Frank play uh, list of your <laughs> own? The, the Coldplay Frank Sinatra mix? Yeah. So I have done it a couple of times. And what I find is that I really like those playlists. Yeah? Yeah, I like I like the ones. I, I, I started one playlist uh, just on Minnesota artists. Okay. And so it started with with contemporaries of mine, people that I, that I see at shows, people that I played with, I've, you know, open, open with, or, or other musicians who have been on my records. Um, and then it kind of spread to, well, who else is from uh, Minneapolis? Oh, uh, Prince, okay. uh, you know, and then I, and then I was like, well, I could include Bob Dylan in that. And so, so I'll listen, so the playlist has got, uh, the times they are a changing followed, you know, the, and followed by, Purple Rain. Okay. And it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's really, it's actually kind of cool. But that has a theme through it. Well, there is is a theme, but the styles of music are dramatically different. Right. I, it's interesting because that, I wonder if that theme aspect has a component of it that draws you in to say, wow, how are these two people who are both Minnesotans have such varied music and various different pieces of it? Yeah. Uh, And I also put some Janet Jackson in there because those songs, well, hang on, those songs. Jimmy Jam, I I know where you're going. Yeah, Yeah. because Jimmy and Terry wrote those songs and produced uh, her her first few records. And uh, And Minneapolis. Right here in Minneapolis. There you go. And those are... 
those are some really, it's really fine songwriting. And that is actually, those would be some big juxtapositions between a Bob Dylan and probably some of the people that you're currently, you know, working with to a Janet Jackson song. Yes, to, uh, it is dramatic. Any, any Husker Du, any replacements, any Soul Asylum, any of any Soul, of my bands? Well, Soul that, Asylum, yes. Okay. I'm not, and, and Suburbs, yes. Okay. I'm not a big fan of the replacements. Oh, 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 oh I know. Yeah, I'm I know. just going to have to, we're going to have to have a, a battle on the on the sidewalk after this. Husker Du? Are you a Husker Du fan? Some. Oh, in, in limited some doses. Of my, some of my all-time favorite songs are Husker Du songs. Candy Apple Gray is one of my favorite albums of all time. Of all, Really? That's, of all that's time. right it's, at the top of your list. It is. It would be in the top 10. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should, we should spend more time uh, talking about Husker Du. All right. There we go. Okay. Okay, we've 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 run that into the ground, <laughs> but a, but a good conversation. Good conversation. So, uh, folks, thank you for listening. And if you so desire, please go out and leave us a review. We love those reviews. We and if if you don't want to review us, hey, if you want to just reach out and chat with us, you know, reach out to LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, we 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 always love those conversations. And thank you for listening.